But this time, it was different. <laughs> it was real different. The Lord took me someplace that he has um, never taken me before. In the past, you know, I would speak about us being fearfully and wonderfully made. And like Jessica said, life beginning at conception and talk about those scriptures. Uh, but this time, the Holy Spirit, um, he spoke to me. And this is what I heard him say. Do I point it here or back there? I heard him say, we hid our faces from him. And this phrase comes from the Isaiah 53 passage on Jesus as the suffering servant, as the Messiah, and as the atonement for sin. So I want us to look at this passage, where this phrase comes from. It's from Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And when I read this, the first thing I thought about was social media. You know, again, having been the director of a pregnancy center, I keep up with um, pro-life things. And, and sometimes I post those things, you know, on my Facebook page or um, different social media I'm on, and it's always interesting to me how the response that I get is just about always crickets. And it's not just me. I've talked to some other directors and friends that have, you know, been part of this, and they said, yeah, it's the same way. You know, I'll post something and nobody says anything. But the majority of my friends on Facebook are Christians. And um, so, you know, this, is, this has always been something that, that has burdened me. And so I, I felt like the Lord was saying that, that that's what's going on here. That we don't like to look at things that make us uncomfortable. We like to hide our faces from them. You know, um, in 2015, there's a group called the Center for Medical Progress. And they went undercover and they went into Planned Parenthood. Some of you may have seen some of that. Some of you may have not have seen some of that. But when those videos came out, um, they, were, they were pretty horrendous. In fact, I couldn't listen to very much of them before I had to just stop because they made me physically sick. What they uncovered made me physically sick. And so, you know... We don't want to hear about this. We, you know, even I, like I said, that, that made me physically sick. We don't want to hear about abortion, much less see some pictures or a post or hear somebody talk about it that's gone into a center. We, we don't want to look at that, you know. But it's not just that. We don't want to look at posts or videos or see pictures of children that are trafficked. We don't want to see or look at posts of children with bloated bellies and flies on their eyes that are starving. You know, we don't want to see pictures of homeless people laying on streets. We don't want to look at their appearance. We don't want to look at that. It makes us uncomfortable. And I was thinking about that. You know, it's like, heaven forbid that we should pull up to an intersection and somebody be standing there with a sign that says homeless, right? And what do we do? What have I done? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just don't make eye contact. Just look straight ahead. Don't look at them. We hide our faces. We hide our faces. And this is when it all became very clear to me what the Holy Spirit was saying to me. That we hid our faces from him. Even here in the last, couple, uh, last month, it was my birthday. And um, my daughter and my daughter-in-law, they took me to the nail salon to get my nails done. And... Uh, um, as we were in there, I, I noticed this man walk in the door of the nail salon at the front. And nobody really paid him any attention. And I watched as he progressively came down the line. And he had a little card in his hand. And he kept handing it or trying to hand it to people. But most people did this, didn't look at him. They hid their faces from him. And when he got to us, you know, he handed me the card, and, and it basically said, you know, that I've lost my job, I have, I have a family and children, and I can't feed them. 
and he was obviously Latino, so I think he didn't speak English, and somebody had written this on this card for him. And so I did give him, you know, looked in my purse and gave him what I had, you know, that I could give him. But it was, it still, even that was uncomfortable for me, you know, because I was thinking, I mean, just to be honest, is he going to keep coming? <laughs> you know, we, we want to hide our faces from these things. We want to hide our faces from it. We don't want to look at it. Um, but, you know, when we hide our faces from this man, or when we hide our faces from any other human being, no matter how small or how old, who are we really hiding our faces from? Who are we really hiding our faces from? So let's look at that. Let's look at Matthew 25, 31 through 46. I'll give you a minute just in case somebody's turning to it. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into, etern into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And you know, this Last statement just shows the gravity with which Jesus punctuated what he had just told them. This, this, this issue, those that we don't want to look at, those things that we don't want to look at, that we don't want to put ourselves into, those things have eternal gravity. Eternal gravity. You know, it's Jesus we are hiding our faces from because he is the least of these. He's the homeless man holding the sign. He's the pregnant teen and her baby entering the abortion clinic. He's the starving orphan living on a trash dump in South America. He's the young girl being sold on the street. You know, you mentioned Mother Teresa. And one of the things that she said about all those she ministered to, that it was Jesus in his distressing disguise. Let's look again 
at this uh, passage in Isaiah, but I want to look at it in context. So why do we hide our faces? Why do we do that? And this is from the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yes, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. I I just have to stop there. How many times have we thought that? How many times have we judged someone? How many times have we judged these people? And thought this was a punishment for their own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You know, I couldn't help as I I read this to think about Isaiah 58. I didn't put this on here. But, you know, Isaiah 58 talks about the true fast. It talks about that when you, when you take the homeless poor into your home, when you minister to these least of these, it says, then your healing will break forth. Then your healing will break forth, just like this. When we minister to Jesus, then your healing will break forth. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And this is the reason we hide our faces from him. It's because we are looking at the consequences of sin. Sin in all its ugliness. Sin, you know, as Romans 7.13 calls it, utterly sinful. We've lost that. We've got to recapture that. We've got to recapture that sin is utterly sinful. And what it does, its effects. I think back on my my background is um, the vineyard with John Wimber back in the 80s. And I remember listening to John talk on a tape. And he talked about they'd had all these awful things happen to people in their fellowship. They had people raped. They had bad things happening. And he went to the Lord and he said, what is going on? He said for several days he raged at the Lord, you know, what is going on? He said, the Lord says, you don't like it? He says, you play with sin every day. You know, what we allow, allows. Travis talked on it this morning, you know, when we were back there praying, abortion, the killing of the unborn, it allows so much, and so much else has allowed it. All these things are connected. They're not separate things. Sin allows sin. We're gates for what's allowed here. You know, it's scripture that says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the king of glory could come in. That's what we're supposed to be the gates for. But if we open ourselves up to something else, we become the gate for it here on this earth. We've got to divest it out of ourself. If we want to get this gate out of the earth, we've got to get rid of it out of ourself. The gate's got to be pulled up and out of us. Every sin ever done by or against humanity was placed on Jesus on that cross. I didn't put up a picture because I know, you know, children or who might be in here, but... If you haven't ever gone and looked at a picture of Jesus, not the ones we see in a lot of the shows, (laughs) where there's just a little crown of thorns on his head, you know, those kind of things where he looks all nice and neat. 
But if you haven't ever, ever allowed yourself to go look at a picture of him, like from the movie The Passion, which they say is probably the closest to being correct as to what he looked like on that cross, I encourage you to do that. Let yourself look at it. Because he was marred beyond recognition. That's what sin does. That's why we don't like to look at it. Jesus on that cross was the truth about sin. So this is why we don't like to look at those posts. Why we don't like to look at uh, pictures from the Holocaust. You know, why we don't like to look at persecution. Why we don't like to look at death. Because we are looking into the face of the ravages of sin. You see, the sanctity of human life isn't just about abortion. It's about the sanctity of all human life. All human life. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me this week as I prepared for this. He said, that picture of Christ on the cross, Janice, that's a picture of the sanctity of human life. That's a picture of the value of human life. That's what I went through because of the value of human life, that not one should perish. You know, after he said that to me, I realized, you know, I never really had even thought much about that word sanctity. And I felt prompted by him, go look it up, Janice, go look up that word. Sanctity, the quality or state of being holy. Human life is holy. Human life is holy. Human life is separated out. It belongs to God. It's holy. Whatever belongs to God is holy. It comes from him. It isn't ours to give or take. It isn't ours to buy or sell. You know, I don't think I've ever really gotten this on this scale before. Like I say, this is a place that the Lord took me. This is a different message that he has given me. But I know it's his message. He wants to pull us into the deep things of him. Uh, I have a friend. She lives in Switzerland. We were praying over her. And I saw something. It was beautiful. But at the same time, it was, I would say, kind of terrifying. But I saw Jesus pull her into the wounds of his wrist. I don't even know the depths of that. I don't even know the depths of this. And I don't think, I don't think we've gotten this. You know, because we've made it about a movement as if we could be on a side. We made it about a choice. We've made it about being pro-life. And you can see how the enemy has done this. He has reduced it down to an issue and to a movement. But it's not a movement. It's about holiness. It's not a movement. And this is the scripture the Lord took me to. And I hope I can communicate what I saw in this scripture when he told me this. He took me to this scripture out of Joshua. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And this is where um, Joshua, you know, he's about to go into battle. And uh, then all of a sudden, this man shows up. It says, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us 
or for our adversaries? He said, no. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And I'm just stop right there. I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ. Because any other time in scripture, when someone would fall down, if it was an angel or try to worship, they would say, no, no, you know, I'm one of you. They would stop them. He didn't stop him. I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ that he was, came face to face with. It says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he bowed down and he said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And this is what I saw. You know, again, as, as the enemy has tried to make this down to sides. And even that's what Joshua was grappling with. And what he asked him, what side are you on? But this is about holiness. It is about stepping onto holy ground. Where Jesus stands. That's what Joshua was being told to do. Step on the holy ground where I stand. This issue is about holiness. And what did Joshua do? He told him to remove your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. Take off your, take off your shoes where you fall. Everything but the world says Everything that what they've told you, every place you've been, all that you've heard, take it off and step into holiness with me. Step into this holy place with me. And that's what I believe the Lord is inviting us to do. Because why is this issue not ended yet? There's something in this. I don't have it all yet. But we've got to step into holiness. We've got to get on holy ground. We've got to take our shoes off. We've got to take what we thought, where we've been. We've got to get in that holy place with Jesus. And that's what Joshua did. And that's where we've got to go. Because this is not a political issue. The sanctity of human life is about standing on holy ground with Jesus. Like I said, but we haven't gotten this yet. I want to give you some statistics. And when I give statistics, I like to kind of make it more real. Because, you know, you can rattle off numbers and they just don't mean very much to us. So here's some abortion statistics. Right now, we're at over 60 million abortions in the USA since Roe v. Wade in 1973. That's as if the population of Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, and West Virginia do not exist. You don't exist. That's the majority of the southeast of this country does not exist. Worldwide, we're at 1.5 billion worldwide since 1980, since they started keeping up with it. Look at this. That's the population of North and South America, plus most of Europe. That's one whole half of the world doesn't exist. And most of another continent does not exist. Abortion in Georgia. We average from 30,000 to 35,000 per year. That's the population of Oconee County. Every year, the population of Oconee County gets nuked off the map. Doesn't exist. Or the city of Gainesville. Every year, the city of Gainesville. Every year, not just once. Every year, a whole city of people disappear the size of Gainesville, Georgia. That's in this state alone, the state of Georgia. 
There are approximately 88 abortions per day in Georgia. That's approximately four classrooms of kids in our public school every day disappear. Every day. Here's some human trafficking statistics. Those are harder for them to have any real read on. Because most of that's never known. Most of these people are dead before they're even known about. But the International Labor Organization estimates that there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking or modern slavery globally. 81% of them are trapped in forced labor. 25% of them are children, one in four. 75% are women and girls. That's the populations, that 40.3, the populations again, of the whole state of Florida, the whole state of Georgia, the whole state of Alabama, the whole state of South Carolina. So when it, this just takes me back to that definition of sanctity. You know, when I looked it up, when I felt like the Lord told me to look it up. And there was a word that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> Inviolable. But this is what it means to be secure from violation or profanation. To be secure from assault or trespass. Human life should be inviolable. That's what it should be. It should be inviolable. It should be secure from trespass. It should be secure from assault. So this also leads me to a mindset that I believe that's in the world, but that I believe that it's, it's antichrist, and I believe that it's infiltrated our thinking. That human life is expendable depending on the circumstances. It's the mindset that allows us to sacrifice one life for another. It's the mindset that says, if this will be a hardship or cause difficulty or harm or risk to someone else or even to themselves, then it's okay to sacrifice this life. Margaret Sanger, she was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She once said, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. For the greater good. For their good. I've heard Christians say that children conceived from incest would be better off aborted because they may have a birth defect and it would be a hardship on the child and on the parent. Here are some reasons for abortion from the Guttmacher Institute. The Guttmacher Institute is, is, is not a pro-life institute. In fact, it's, it, at first I was like, okay, why, why are they putting all this out there? But the thing they're trying to do is normalize it. They're trying to make it so that you don't bat an eye at it. That you, you go, oh, okay, yeah, everybody is doing it. It's okay. But these are the three most common reasons, each cited by three-fourths of patients for abortion. Concern for or responsibility to other individuals. Don't want to be responsible for somebody else. The inability to afford raising a child. The belief that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or the ability to care for dependents. Half said they did not want to be a single parent or were having problems with their husband or partner. You know, all of these involve the sacrifice of one individual's life for another. And we aren't even talking about physical life. This is three-fourths, you know, where they always try to throw out the life of the mother, okay? This is three-fourths just for the possibility of a hardship. 
This mindset shows up in other areas too. I've seen it in euthanasia. Families deciding that this family member would be better off dead, even though that family member was alert, looking around, even talking in some circumstances, but just could not swallow to eat. So they were refused food and drink because, oh, you know, they'd be better off dead. I always tell people, be, be careful what you sign. Be careful who you put in charge of that. And I read a, a, a story here recently of, uh, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman, but it comes to mind, and uh, could hear the family, was in a coma, but could hear the family discussing whether to pull the life support and finally was able to move something, and they saw him move. Although the doctors were saying, they're brain dead. And as I mentioned before, the last time I spoke, it shows up with vaccines. In our efforts to save lives from disease, we've decided that some lives are expendable. Some will die or be permanently brain damaged, but that's okay if other lives are, are saved. We've decided it's okay to sacrifice lives. This isn't the mind of Christ. And this isn't the kingdom. Matthew 18, 12 through 14. This is from the New Living Translation. This is the kingdom. This is the mind of Christ. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. All human life is holy. All human life is meant to be inviolable. And instead of sacrificing others as Christians, we're called to sacrifice ourselves. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard being, like I said, in, within that pro-life community of women who were told they would die if they didn't abort that baby. But they lived. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Paul Cain. His mother had, what, like five different kinds of cancer in her body and all that kind of stuff. But she trusted God. You know, she lived until she was over 100-something years old. Doctors aren't God. They're not God. Let's look at this uh, Matthew uh, 16. I think I, I didn't put slide, but I think it must be up here. Yes, okay, Matthew 16. It says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to <clears throat> rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. I want to stop right there just for a second. I remember the first time I caught this. You know, we would think if he said, get behind me, Satan, he would say, for you're not putting, setting your mind on God's interest, but Satan's. But he didn't. He said, but man's. And that's what we have to guard about. Because I'm going to tell you, humanitarian thought, humanism can sound really good. But it's not God. It says, Peter turned, I mean, Jesus turned and said to Peter, oh, I've read that, get behind me saying, then, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus laid down his life of his own will. Of his own will. We don't get to lay down other people's lives. <laughs> we can sacrifice our life. We don't get to lay down their life, though. But Jesus laid his life down of his own will. And, let, and let's look at that. It says, for this reason, 
I'm in the right place. Oh, I think I did. I go backwards. No, I went the wrong way. Okay, let me find my place here. Matthew 16. Maybe I didn't make this slide. Matthew 16. Okay, I read that one, right? Whoever wishes to lose his life, sacrifice his life. Okay, let's see if I let's see if I made a slide. Maybe I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, but he says in John 10, 17 through 18. You want to look there, John 10, 17 through 18. Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Even Jesus received the command to be able to sacrifice his life. Okay. He received that from the, the, the Father. You know, I think trust, trust is um, one of the key here, issues here. You know, do we trust God? Do we trust God with our lives? Do we believe his promise to take care of us, to work all things together for our good? Do we trust God with others' lives? I think back on a story of a young woman. She was a new Christian, come to our church back in the, I have to think back, in the uh, 90s, early 90s. And she was a new Christian, and she went in. They did ultrasound, and they told her, your baby has um, the intestines are on the outside of the body. And they said it probably has other birth defects too because usually when we see this, we see a bunch of others. And so the best thing you could do is to abort this baby. So she comes into us, you know, and, and, and we knew, no, you can't do this. You know, we've got to trust God. We've got to pray. And that's what we did. And you know when that baby was born, there was only one little opening right here, just a little tiny one. They just pushed those intestines in and sewed that close. There was nothing else wrong with that baby. And now, now I see pictures of her on social media. You know, what if she had listened to that? What if she hadn't trusted God? What if we hadn't trusted God? What if we had told her, yeah, wow, that's hard. I wouldn't want to deal with that. I know for people who would come into the center, we'd see story after story, or we would encourage them to trust God, and God would provide. God honors those who honor him and honors what he honors. I want to stop right here for just a second, though, too, and just say, you know, if you've been touched by abortion in any way, that there's healing. And there's forgiveness. You know, most of, of the pregnancy centers, most of the women that are in those centers are there because they are post-abortive. And they're there because they want to help, because they've been there. They've been scared. They've not known what to do. You know, and they've gone through healing themselves and gone through forgiveness. You know, I was thinking about... Um, I've been reading through a lot of the Old Testament um, this year and rereading it. And um, I was thinking about the, some of the wickedness that um, went on. And, you know, Israel got, and Judah, Israel was worse than Judah at times, but got into sacrificing their children. Um, it says of one king, Manasseh, that he filled the streets with blood. But did you know that he humbled himself and repented and God forgave him? You know, but it was said that he was one of the most wicked. He filled the streets, it said, with blood. Grace never comes short. 
grace is abundant. You know, I'm not up here talking to you either because I've been perfect. I'm up here because of the grace of God. You know, something I heard the Holy Spirit say to me this morning, you're all the woman at the well. We're all the woman at the well. So I think I want to end this with the story of Hasia. This is Hasia. I ran up on this story. I don't know how I ran up on it. But I ran up on this story on Thursday, March 13 of 2014. Um, this is Hasia. She is 14 years old and weighs 14 pounds. When I saw that and I read that and I heard that, I was in unbelief. 14 years old, 14 pounds. I was like, there's, there's, no, there's no way, Lord. But that's what this story is about. There's a couple, and they, um, at this point, when Hasia first came into their life, I think they had, um, I think they said seven children. They had like three or four of their own biological children, and they had children that they had adopted with Down syndrome. And so um, the mother, I put their little website up here, and I think you say her name like a day, a day Salem. She um, originally, when I first ran up on this story, um, she had the post and she had a lot of details about what they went through. But when they decided to take this child, they had never taken a child like this. You know, they didn't know. They were like, can, just looking at the pictures. But they said, God had called their name. You know, and they had a peace come over them. And so they went. She was in an orphanage in the Ukraine. She had never left that crib. Except for maybe just to be gotten out, you know, to clean or something. But she had lived her life for 14 years in a crib. She was contracted. She was basically starving. Her femur was broken just from the contractures and the malnutrition. So they didn't even know if they were going to be able to get her back to the state. So she would even live the trip. They said, she said she screamed unconsolably. She was almost completely blind. I can't because she's taken down the original post that told some of the all the things that were in that were wrong with her. I believe her hearing was impaired too. But I knew when I saw this, I was like, God, that is God. That has to be you, God. That has to be that for 14 years this child has lived in a crib in an orphanage and weighs 14 pounds. And um, so she, she wrote on her blog, she said that the name for Hasia was a Hebrew name. And I thought that's got to be God too. It's a Hebrew name. It means have mercy or protected by God. So I thought too, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to go in the, the place that I found it was on a Hebrew side. So there were words in here I, I can't read. But they said, have mercy, take refuge. And then they put this psalm with this name. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. You know, when I saw this, I, wanna, I, I was pierced through pierced through my heart. I, I didn't realize even then until now, and some of the things the Lord has said to me this week, what I wrote at this time, but I want to read you what I wrote. And I'm not, part of me is like, I've not lived this life with this child because I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you the rest of it. But I was so impacted by this because I knew it was God. 
So the next day, this is what I wrote. I said, last night, I glimpsed something so holy, so beautiful, it hurt. It haunted my subconscious so that I couldn't sleep but for a few hours before waking again, and it has continued to haunt my consciousness today. It feels almost too holy to share because it risks being tossed aside and trampled instead of being acknowledged as the precious, priceless, yes, priceless pearl it is. Not that I believe one would cast such holiness aside on purpose or on a level meant to treat it as something that doesn't have worth, but one might cast it aside because it was too holy to view, to really view. Because when you see something so holy and so beautiful as this, and you really allow yourself to view it, to gaze at it, to absorb it, you are cut to the core with a pain that says, let the whole world be silent. A holy pain. And you know it will never leave you the same. No, you can't ever be the same. Why? Because you've seen the face of God. Song of Solomon 2.9 says, Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Sometimes God peeks through if we let him. If we let the wall down that protects our heart and our mind from his holiness. A holiness so beyond what we can imagine that it not only hurts, but as God told Moses in Exodus 33:20, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so it is, and so it was with the glimpse I caught last night, a glimpse of God's own face, a glimpse of his glorious face, his most holy face, his most beautiful face, and now I'm cut to the quick with this holy pain, this holy shard. And if I let it work its way into my heart, as God said, a part of me must die. Jamie Lash writes in her book, A Kiss a Day, we get glimpses of God's glory. But mostly we see through a glass dimly. One day we'll see him face to face. We know in part, but then we shall know just as we are known. I think this, too, is what happened to me last night. By seeing that glimpse of his face, I saw what he sees, what he sees every day. By seeing that glimpse of his face, I knew what he knows, what he knows every day. And seeing and knowing, I then felt what he feels, just a glimmer of what he feels every day. And to try to put that in human terms, in no way will ever do it justice. It was holy. It was painfully holy. It was beautiful. It was painfully beautiful. It was glorious. It was painfully glorious. It was love. It was God. This is the sanctity of life. This is Hasia at 20 years old. And I had to show this picture. And I had to read you what her mom said. For 15 years, her heavenly father held her tightly in an orphanage on the other side of the world. And then he gave her an earthly dad. One who would hold her, get so close to her where she could recognize his face through her blurred vision. And pour out such sacrificial, extravagant, wholehearted love day after day. Because he first loved us. Let's pray. Pray, Lord, that you would let us let you you would cut us lord you would let us cut us to the quick lord with the holiness of life that we would seek to know what it means to stand on holy ground with you to let you wreck us 
to let ourselves be undone. I've heard this song all week. It's just an old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the glory of his light and his grace. Thank you, Father. Let's stand up before we have the worship team come forward. And I want to provide this opportunity. Janice, thank you for sharing that word because it's, it's the truth and it's the God's heart behind this. As we worship one more song, I want to invite you to, uh, you can come to the altar. If you just want to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to give myself for life, whatever that looks like, whether it's foster care, working with foster care, working, uh, thinking about adoption, being a pro-life proponent, whatever it looks like, but that you're going to stand with the Lord, just like Joshua, when he saw the angel of the Lord, and he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the Lord, the, the, the captain, the Lord of hosts said, no, but you're standing on holy ground. Are we going to stand with Jesus on holy ground. It's not about, he's not going to come to, the question isn't him coming to our side, whether it's the right, left, conservative, progressive, whatever you want to call it. Are you, are you going to stand with Jesus? Because he's unmovable. He's unshakable. He's the rock. He's already made his decision. So we're going to stand with Jesus. And so I want to, we all have a part to play in this and all of being pro-life, like I said, of those of those different areas and maybe even more, but this is our responsibility because it's what Jesus is doing. And we're his hands and feet. And so during that as we worship one more song, we have our, our ministry team. If you want to receive prayer, if you're a, if you're a man that's been involved in an abortion, you've agreed to an abortion, there's healing for you as well. Because that comes with the weight of that sin. It, and people that work at pregnancy centers can vouch for that. We can vouch for that, we've, we've seen that as well, Jessica and I. So it's just time to, to let the Lord heal you. Obviously, if you're a woman and, and you've had an abortion, the Lord wants to heal you. The Lord wants to heal you. There's forgiveness. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He loves you. But we do have to call it what it is to find healing. And so during this time, if you want to receive prayer, we have our team over there. I also invite you to come down to the front. I just said, well, I'm going to give my life for life. And I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do.